Well, it's good to be back. We had a sermon this morning on fellowship, and we had a wonderful fellowship meal. Now, I asked the ladies up front just a moment ago, what do you think about a fella who would mistreat his good friend to the extent that he sees him across the room, kind of hiding behind Bobby Laster, trying to eat a small piece of a brownie, and then he alerts his wife to that. Now, I'm not going to mention any names, but he's sitting on the front row up here. But that's all part of our fellowship, and so we enjoyed that. All of us have been given names in this life. On one occasion, I mentioned in a sermon that really we have been given three names in this life. We've been given the name that our parents blessed us with. We may have been given a name by other people. It may be a nickname or something that refers to a type of a characteristic or a trait that we have. And then we have a name that we make for ourselves. We do that in this life, don't we? Now, there's little that we can do about the name with which our parents have blessed us. We may like it, we may not like it. I guess we could change our name if we so chose, but they gave us a name and normally we stick with that. Now, the name that we make for ourselves is very important. That gives us an opportunity to demonstrate to the world around us the characters and qualities that are good, but it could be good or it could be bad, right? Sometimes we know of a people and we may refer to them uh, in a way that describes their being less than what they ought to be. Not in a, in a demeaning way or anything, but we just know that that individual, through his actions or her actions, has demonstrated himself to not be what he ought to be or what she ought to be. But that name that God gives us, the name that Jesus gives us, is the most important name. When Jesus said this, Matthew five thirteen, He said, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Jesus called us salt. And He did that for a very specific reason. Now, Christians have been called sheep. Christians have been called brethren. Christians have been called little ones and other names that we can search out through the New Testament. But we have also been called salt. That's a very important name. Now we don't often look at this passage in Matthew 5, particularly verse 13, and really connect this idea that our name is salt. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? He said, ye are the salt of the earth. You're salt. I don't believe that it is a coincidence that verses 13 and 14, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you're the light of the world. I don't believe it is coincidental that it follows on the heels of what we know as the Beatitudes. Now, we are called salt because we have been given the opportunity and the responsibility to impact the world and influence the world around us. Now, if we notice the Beatitudes in that section of Scripture, Jesus gave us the qualities that must be a part of every single 
child of God and anyone who ever hopes to be a child of God. When we possess those qualities, and the good news is we can possess them because we can cultivate them. Jesus lives in our lives and we're able to have a positive influence on the world around us. We're salt. When we live by the standards of Jesus, again, Jesus lives in our lives. Jesus will bless us. We will be like salt. We will be like light. We'll be able to do the things that He wants us to do. And like light, being salt will enable us to be able to see who we are and for others to see who we are. See, light is very important. Salt is very important. And salt, like light, the description is you're a city set on a hill. It cannot be hid, right? When you come into uh, Las Vegas, Nicole and I, a couple of years ago, were coming back from uh, the Grand Canyon, and, and we were driving into Las Vegas, and you begin to see Las Vegas miles away, right? Miles away. Because it's all lit up. And so, that's what the Christian is supposed to be. We're supposed to be able to demonstrate for us, or for the world, what we need to be. Now, having said that, what that really means is we have an opportunity to influence, and the world will see that. And so, if we claim to be light, or we claim to be salt, and we're neither one, the world will recognize that, right? Have you ever tried to use salt, it wasn't salty, and you just keep putting it on your food and keep putting it on your food, and here in a minute, it looks like it snowed on your plate and it tastes just like it did before, right? Well, that salt's a hypocrite. It's not what it's supposed to be, right? Had a young man doing some work for us, doing a little painting for us, and I was talking to him, and he said that he worked with a, uh, a denominational pastor, and he said, you know, I don't understand how that guy can be a preacher. The way he talks during the day. See, that individual is presenting himself to be salt, presenting himself to be light, but you have this person in the world who never claims to be a Christian, who doesn't uh, uh, claim to have any kind of a faith other than just a general belief in God, and he can see the difference. He can see that that individual is not being a light, that that individual is not salt. And so, like salt... We must not lose our savor. That's what the Lord said in Matthew 5.13. And that's what I've entitled the sermon tonight. Do not lose your savor. To learn more about Christ's use of the name salt, I want us to start, and I want us to first consider salt's description. Let's look at salt. First of all, salt is one of the world's oldest preservers it preserves doesn't it salt will prevent rot it will prevent decay and for generations it has been used to preserve meat for later use i can remember growing up across from where my grandmother lived her brother lived there my great uncle they had a smokehouse and they would hang hog meat in there and they would smoke it and then they had a place where they would salt the meat down and you'd go in and it'd just be meat with just piles of salt on top of it. And you'd have to dig through the salt to get to the ham. And they were doing that because, of course, at that time they had 
a refrigerator and different things, but that's how he had always done it, right? And so he just continued to do it that way. See, years ago, before the luxury of electricity and the luxury of a refrigerator, you had to find other ways. You had to smoke your meat. You had to salt it down. But it would preserve it. Think about this. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah would have been preserved had they had the influence of ten righteous people. They didn't have the salt. Therefore, they were not preserved. I believe it's like that in our nation. If not for the prayers of righteous men and women, James 5, 16, I don't believe the Lord would be as patient as He is today. I don't believe He would continue to be patient with His creation if it were not for the faithful, the the remnant left in the world today. The presence and prayers of, of faithful men and women can do more for our nation and our world than any other thing that could be named. Salt. It preserves. It is the righteousness of God's people who make societies great. It's not the inventors. It's not the businessmen. It's not anyone else that you you want to add to that list. Oh, we need them. They help make uh, society convenient. But what makes the world great? God's people. Because we're salt. We preserve. Solomon declared... Proverbs 14, 34, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The salt of Christianity preserves the faithful. But here's something else salt does. Another description. It penetrates. Salt will penetrate whatever it touches. Have you ever put salt on ice? It's an aggressive substance, isn't it? What if you put too much salt on your food? Have you ever done that? Well, you can tell it in a hurry, can't you? You put too much salt, it's aggressive. And we see that description in the lives of the first century Christians. They were aggressive in their Christianity. But they should have been. That's always been the commandment, right? We're fighting a fight. We're warring a war. It's the good fight of faith. We have to prepare ourselves with the... the, uh, uh, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. We have to put on those things. Luke recorded this, Acts 8, beginning with verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering into every house, inhaling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They penetrated the world. Salt. Salt's a penetrator, right? Now remember, that's what Jesus called us. That's a name He gave us. Salt. And those in the first century, as they went out into the world, they penetrated the world and they took the gospel Everywhere, Acts 17, 6. Salt will preserve, it will penetrate, but it will also purify. Salt will purify. It has a remarkable cleansing ability. Have you ever used warm salt water to take care of a sore throat? Some kind of an infection in your throat. Elisha cleansed the waters of Jericho with salt. 
In ancient times, people would make a salt solution, wash their newborn babes in it to cleanse them and to give firmness to their skin, Ezekiel 16.4. Though it's very painful, you can put salt in a wound to help take care of the, 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 the bacteria and to prevent it from becoming infected. You see, Christians have a purifying effect on the world in some sense, right? Even if it's a small sense, even if it's not to the extent of someone obeying the gospel because of our actions. But have you noticed people who work in groups and and a member of that group, it's learned by the rest that they're Christians? Have you noticed how the rest of the group will alter their behavior a little bit when that individual comes around? Maybe they don't use the bad language that they usually use. Maybe they don't tell the, the jokes that they used to tell because there's a Christian. See, Christians have a purifying effect. Why? Because we're salt. We're salt. That's what Jesus called us. They understand that that, that person lives differently and it affects their behavior. When we look in Leviticus 2 verse 13 and we read about the meat offerings to God they were to be offered made with salt they were to be made with salt so our sacrificial lives and that's how we're supposed to live a living sacrifice Paul said we're to offer our living sacrifice with salt see salt penetrates doesn't it it purifies it does all of those things We're not to become like the world. We're to purify the world, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And when we do that, we're worth our salt. Salt will preserve. It will penetrate. It will purify. But I believe perhaps the most notable characteristic of salt is that it pleases. Salt will please, won't it? Salt will bring out the best in our food as it blends with the food and it brings and gives a flavor to the meal. In the same way, Christians, salt, should bring out the best in the world. We ought to be doing that, right? We ought to add flavor to the world around us by preserving it, by purifying it. We ought to be able to bring out the best just like we recognize Jesus brought out the best and we do that. For God's glory, Philippians 1, 27. Now we've considered some some positive descriptive terms of salt, but there's something else about salt we need to understand. Salt is also poison. Salt will kill some things. Have you ever seen someone put salt on a slug at night? Salt and slugs don't mix very well, do they? Have you ever... Seen someone intentionally go out and salt their lawn? It'll kill the grass. That's not going to happen, is it? We don't want to kill our grass. Too much salt's bad for our blood pressure, isn't it? Salt can be a poison. If you eat too much salt, it can kill you, right? Abimelech used salt to destroy the ground and to prevent crops from ever growing on it again, Judges 9.44. Uh, five. Now in the same way as salt being poison true Christianity sown in homes sown in our lives 
and sown in our communities will kill certain things. Poison sometimes is very good. We need it, right? We impact the world because Christianity is a pure poison for sin. Now remember, Jesus called us salt. And because of that, our influence ought to kill lifestyles, which would include use of alcohol, using bad language, fighting, hatred, killing, drug use, immoral living, and any other work of the flesh, Galatians 5.19, especially in our own lives. We're salt. That's what Jesus called us. And when that happens, Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, we've talked about all these wonderful characteristics of salt, and, and the most dominant one in a positive sense is it pleases. We talked about it could also be poison, but probably the most notable characteristic among all of these descriptive terms is that salt will promote thirst. Have you ever eaten a salty food and you look down at the bottom of your tea glass and it's empty? Or you wake up in the middle of the night after having slept for a couple of hours and and your mouth is dry and all you can think about is getting a drink of water? Salt will do that, right? Salt will promote thirst. Now remember, Jesus called us salt. We ought to promote the thirst for Jesus in the world. In the last days recorded for us by John, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, John 7, beginning with verse 37, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. When we're salt, when we take the call of the gospel seriously, when we live right, when we look right, when we talk right, when we worship right, when we dress right, it is then that we have the ability to create a thirst for Jesus in the world. When that doesn't happen, the exact opposite takes place. The hypocrite does not go unnoticed. When lives are led in a substandard, immoral way, the world will ask this question. Why should I be interested in Jesus? I live just as good as those Christians down the road. You know, that's a very sad statement when it's true, isn't it? There are a lot of people in the world who do live just as good as some who claim Christ. But now here's the difference. Those people aren't salt. Because salt will also, this is our final descriptive term, prove our ability. Salt changes almost everything it touches. You throw salt on ice. You put it on food. You put it in water. It changes everything about what it touches. I recall one time I'd gotten laid off from the body shop and I was working for a company over in 
Lebanon, Tennessee, and they made O-rings, and they had to uh, treat them in such a way, and they had to uh, test them by weight, and they would make up a big salt solution, and it would be thick, and they would drop those O-rings in that salt solution, and I don't remember exactly the details about it, but everything that salt solution touched, it affected in some way. You had to wear rubber gloves almost up to your armpits. Because if it got on your skin, it affected it. It affected the part. Uh, Salt will affect anything it touches. It will prove our ability. Now we've been called by the gospel. We've been called by the gospel to change the world. Let me ask you a question. If you had the opportunity, and you do, to choose to have in your house either a thermostat or a thermometer, what would you pick? Now, I don't like being too hot, and I don't like being too cold. So I'm going to pick the thermostat. Because if I have a thermometer, all that tells me is, you're too hot or you're too cold, and it can't help me. See, God has called us to be thermostats. We're to prove our ability. We are to affect That's what salt does. It affects everything it touches. God expects us to implement change in this world. Right? But we can't do that unless we first change ourselves. Now some people believe we have to be like the world if we're going to change the world. Now let me ask you this. Isn't that backwards thinking? Why would the world want to change if I'm behaving like the world? We change the world... By being like Jesus. We can't grow the church by bringing in denominational doctrines. Why would the denomination down the road want to be at all interested in what we have to offer if we're offering the same things? But see, we're not offering the same things. We're offering a back-to-the-Bible religion. Not a man-made religion. So we have to be different. We are salt. In those terms, describe how we ought to be in the world. But now, there are some dangers that we must avoid. That's our second point. Salt could lose its flavor. But good salt was a highly prized, very expensive commodity in the ancient world. It was so valuable, in fact, that... The Roman legions were often paid their wages in salt. Now that was called the salarium, S-A-L for salt. And it is also where we get the, the expression, not worth his salt. I never knew that. But they, salt was so precious, it was so needed and so wanted, that people would earn wages and they would be paid in salt. Now... It is possible for salt to lose its flavor. Now the salt we're used to and the salt the ancients used is entirely different. Now the salt we have is called chloride of sodium or sodium chloride. It is a compound that is created and it is a lot better. But now this salt of which Jesus spoke, it either came from the cliffs surrounding the Dead Sea, which were about seven miles long and several hundred feet tall. It was mined out of the rock. It was processed or it came from the water of the Dead Sea and it was evaporated 
and it would gather. Either way, within that salt was mixed mineral or vegetable matter. Now here's the problem with salt that's mined straight out of the ground. Anytime it comes into contact with the world, the earth, at some point it will lose its flavor. They would go up to the cliffs and they would dig away the first several feet of that salt because it had been exposed to the world, the light had been shining on it, and it did not have any flavor. So they would throw it away. And so when they mined it or when they evaporated it, they had to use it because the longer it was exposed to the world, the sooner it would lose its flavor. Now, table salt was in danger of losing its flavor. And the salt of the Christian can lose its savor. That's a danger. Now remember, Jesus said we were salt. So we have to guard our saltiness, right? If we come into too close proximity with the world, you know what happens? We begin to lose our savor. We, become to be, we come to be more like the world and less like Jesus. We've lost the thing that sets us apart. We've lost the thing that makes us precious, that makes us a prized commodity to God. And that's not what we want. Let me give you an example that's kind of similar. When Isaac lived near the Philistines, the wells his father dug, the Philistines destroyed those wells. They filled them with the earth. They filled them with the world, right? Pieces of the world made them useless. See, that's what happens when salt, this kind of salt we're talking about here, the kind of salt the Lord used as an example, when it comes into close proximity and it's completely given over to the world for an extended period of time, it will lose its flavor and we can lose our savor. And it will render that salt worthless. Now, there is a description given of salt, there are some dangers of which we have to be careful. But salt will always meet its destiny one way or the other. If salt loses its flavor, it will be cast out. That's what Jesus said, right? That means it was taken, it was scattered abroad, it was, it was put out, but notice where they used it. They used it on footpaths and the roadways of the day. It's worthless for anything else. They used it much like we use gravel. The only thing it was good for was maybe it might kill some weeds that would grow up into the roadway and it might keep your sandals from going into the mud. But other than that, it was completely worthless. It was literally to be trodden under the foot of men now that statement becomes a little more clear to us. Now we have to understand, when we lose our savor, when we cease to function as salt in the world, then we have become good for nothing. We have lost our position with God and are no longer worthy of salvation. Now, we need to understand, in the correct context, God isn't kicking us away. We're choosing to no longer have savor. We're, we're choosing to lose our saltiness. We're choosing to not be a light to the world. We're choosing to be placed in a position 
where we're thrown into the pathway and we're trodden under the feet of men and to be used like gravel. The hypocrite will cause the name of the Father, the name of, the Jesus, uh, the name of Jesus, and the name of the Holy Spirit to be walked upon by those in the world and we become a useless vessel, no longer a vessel of righteousness for God. But that doesn't have to be the destiny we have. We don't have to lose flavor. If we can maintain our savor and we can cause our salt to last, we can influence the world and we can have these same characteristics of which we've spoken and we can influence our families, our friends, and those in the world. None of us want to be cast out as useless. Nobody wants that. God doesn't want that. But isn't that what happened to the, to the servants in the parable of the talents? Isn't that what happened to the servants in the parable of the pounds? Matthew 25, beginning with 14, and Luke 19, beginning with 11. They were cast into outer darkness because they were worthless to the Master. The Master gave them a job to perform. They didn't do it. They were worthless. They cost Him money. He had to feed them, right? He had to keep them up. He had to support them. And they, weren't, they were not taking what He had given them and multiplying that. See, that's what Christians have to be aware of, right? We cannot lose our savor because God's given us a job. He's blessed us. He's given us every opportunity. And all He asked is for faithfulness and for work. And we can do that. Jesus called the Christian salt. That's one of our names. And we want to have those characteristics found in the description. We want to avoid the dangers so we can have the proper destination promised to the faithful. And we do that by being a shining light, by having savor, right? Matthew 5, 13 and 14. As we consider the warning, don't lose your savor. Can we honestly say that we're salt? Because the world needs salt. It is important for every child of God to be what God needs us to be. It's important for us to have our savor. It's important to carry these characteristics. Haven't we all witnessed far too much false teaching in the world? Haven't we witnessed far too much hypocrisy? Haven't we witnessed far too much weak living to last us for an eternity? Let's be salt. Let's change things. We are salt. We need to behave in accordance with that description because that's what Jesus called us. We need to demonstrate that beginning with obedience to the gospel. You can't be salt unless you're part of God's family. You can't, be, you can't have a name of Christ unless you are of Christ. Christians are referred to as salt. We become Christians through faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. Sometimes the salt could be a little better, right? Sometimes you have to have a little more salt than maybe the last batch you bought. But here's the good news. We can regain our savior. We can repent of sin. We can confess it to God publicly if need be, and ask Him to forgive us, and He will. If you stand in need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, whether it's initial obedience 
We're coming back to God. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.